Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One? Where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see what holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Cor- I mean, uh, Liam. And I'm your other host, Corey. This is very weird. And uh, this week, we are... Well, we're having some technical difficulties, aren't we, Corey? You're uh, you're doing the podcast through a tin can. Corey was on a ship somewhere. He got shipwrecked, and now he's I'm on an island. Marooned, yeah. He's, he's marooned. He was uh, trying to get away from Clancy Brown or Ellen or something. I don't know where we are with the narrative of, of the show anymore. Celebrity villains that we have who seems to only really interact with us by way of technological mishap. Like, if Ellen really had a problem, she could just email, you know? Like, we don't have to drag this out. That's right. So, so Corey is marooned on this island. He's built a bunker deep beneath the surface of the sand where he's podcasting from. Um, and it's sort of fitting because this week, check out this segue. I'm being Corey this week. It's fitting because this week uh, we are doing a VHS era movie and Corey is doing the vhs equivalent of audio quality right now coming at you with that vhs sound that's right uh so this week we are talking about silent night deadly night part two uh which came out in 1987 was directed by lee harry starring eric freeman um let's just get right into it Corey. what did you know about this movie before going in that the franchise as a whole so that's a really good question because I thought I kind of knew all of it, and we'll get into this after. It turns out I did, but I forgot what all of that information was. So Oh, shit. Corey, Corey has forgotten more about the Silent Night franchise than any of you will ever know. That's true. And so um, in my memory, there was this vague sense that, like, there was something weird about the movie. When I sat down to watch it, I couldn't put my finger on what that was, and I decided to not look it up until after. So, like, I remember I already knew about Eric Freeman's performance, and I already knew about Garbage Day, and, and, and I you, already knew about... Oh, and you, you knew that those things were from this movie? Yeah, like, okay, I, okay, I, okay. in my head, I, I associated eyebrows Garbage Day with Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. That said, that's basically all I knew. Like, I knew it was a cult classic kind of thing. Holiday horror, which is something we like on this show quite a bit. And I knew that there was some weird shit going on with it. But in terms of, like, production history, um, I couldn't put my finger on what the the catch actually was. So, um, for all I knew, it was just a weird movie with a weird lead. Um, there, that is maybe not all there is to say. Um, but that said, I didn't know anything about the first one, which I guess is typical. And I didn't know anything about, I guess there's a third one. Uh, Better Watch Out, I think it's the subtitle for that. Um, which is also the name of a, a different holiday horror movie that we like. <laughs> and, uh, that's what that movie was, right? With the Australian high doorknobs. That's right, yeah. And then there's yeah. another holiday horror movie <clears throat> that is sometimes called You Better Watch Out from 1980. But it, it Why is, is more... it only sometimes called that? 
because You Better Watch Out was uh, an alternative title that shows up as the title card in the film, but it was marketed everywhere and it's under the Wikipedia title of Christmas Evil. So it's one of those movies that kind of gets gets messed around a little bit, but the director actually prefers You Better Watch Out. So it's a, it's a good title for Christmas horror. Yeah, I, I like both of those, but Christmas Evil has like a very kind of corny quality to it that I feel like you better watch out manages to not have, even though that's arguably the cornier option. <laughs> it is but, strange, yeah. Yeah. If you're making a holiday horror movie, you gotta you gotta embrace the corniness, at least when it comes to titles. Yeah, speaking of corn, you ever put popcorn on a Christmas tree? Why do we do that? That's weird. Anyway. Yeah, no, haven't done it. <laughs> haven't done it. I'll 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 get out right out there saying it. I don't want to be put in that camp. I don't want to be one of those people who decks the halls with corns a-popping. Is that the song now? It is now. Everybody, go to your loved ones on Skype or Zoom or whatever the fuck you're going to use this holiday season. And use a tin can. Them, it works. You need to dig yourself underground and you need to scream at them about the, the Yuletide popcorn and everybody's going to love it. Just love it. And um, to get away from the Yuletide popcorn, I, I got a lot of physical freedom right now. I'm, like, pacing around my room, which I can't usually do on account of the microphone. So, like, I feel like I'm, I'm in a weird headspace. I'm in, like, it's a whole new vibe. I'm doing moves you can't see. I've got physical moves. It's like one of those action figures you would get where it's like, he's got, like, action arm, and the only thing he can do is, like, flip his arm up and down. Yeah, yeah, your eyebrows are going. You got a yeah. cigarette. This is good. <laughs> it's going to get you in the headspace. Yeah, so this is a... This is a action podcast Corey Price where um, he's got moves like drink a cup of water too fast and then your throat gets dry eyebrow gesticulation and forgetting how to use a computer um, all good moves that I'm using this week um, but to that back around to the movie I when I sat down to watch it I could not have known less about it but I knew that in the past I had known stuff about it and it just left my brain for some reason, I almost feel like maybe it's like a, it's a James Rolfe bit. I don't know if he did a video, or maybe Red Letter Media has a video. Somebody somewhere has a video that I've seen about this movie, and it's been long enough now that I forgot. Interesting. So, so the only thing you knew, and that you remembered you knew, was Garbage Day and Eyebrows. That's basically it. And even then, that was mostly Garbage Day. Interesting. Okay, well... I got to tell you, Corey, from what I've heard and from my own experience, I think you're mostly in the majority because um, I, I, I was going into this movie having seen the original Silent Night, Deadly Night uh, quite a few times. I watched that for the first time years ago, um, late one December night with uh, my roommate at the time, and we just had a blast watching this this movie. It's a lot sleazier than you would think, which is weird to say about a horror movie where Santa is the killer. You would expect it to be pretty sleazy, but um, it's actually, there's not a whole lot of blood in it, not a whole lot of violence, but just in terms of the themes, it is really vile. I mean, the movie, I mean, you see, you know a lot of it this now, Corey, but uh, in that, in, in that original movie, in that original movie, you get like 30 minutes of, of character work that's just like horrible, real life horrors you know there's not any slashing happening but you know there's uh... it's just like hey do you guys it's like you know do you want to build a snowman right from frozen mm -hmm. it's like do you want to traumatize a child 
That's right. Yes, child trauma. That's it. So I had no idea that was in the original before I watched it. And so watching that movie late at night, thinking that I was just going to get a uh, pretty conventional movie where uh, teenagers get slashed and the killer happens to be in a Santa suit. But that's not quite what it is. No, it, it and um, I guess it's it's weird because I feel like, and you might be able to speak more to like where this franchise sits and like horror in general, um, because I don't really know. But I feel like, like we're talking about, um, it's a it's a name, it's like a branding of a movie, it's a concept for a movie that feels like it lends itself to a lot of things that this movie or the first one, because you know. For reasons we'll get into, I've seen enough of the first one that I feel like I'm comfortable saying this. Um, it it doesn't rely on like the goofy shit. It's got the goofy shit, and it's got like the sleazy kind of stuff in it. But like you're saying, not nearly as much as you'd expect. So I wonder if like that influences where it places in horror in general, because the the cult classic is very much part two um, for pretty obvious reasons. But, like, does Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 hold, like, a Black Christmassy kind of place? Or does it hold, like, a... I don't have a good parallel for the other one. My Bloody Valentine. That's another <laughs> holiday-themed horror movie. Yeah. Um, I'd say more the latter than the former. It's not, not talked about it. It's not talked about or revered nearly as much as the original Black Christmas. Indeed, you're right, Corey, that part two is talked about far more often. Where the discussion goes, at least in uh, the general public for number one, is just the idea that Santa Claus is a killer. I mean, the movie was so huge at the time it came out, just in the press, because it was... Um, I'd say the first widely released horror movie where uh, it was usurping the idea of Santa Claus. You know, Black Christmas had come out in the decade prior, but that movie isn't about Santa Claus and it's not disgracing. It's not about Christmas. It occurs at Christmas. That's right. That's that's totally right. And that movie that I mentioned before, Christmas Evil, um, that wasn't nearly as widely released. It didn't have a big studio behind it. So there's not as many uh, people that would have been clued off, but Silent Night, Deadly Night had a huge marketing campaign. A lot of trailers came out um, that kids might have seen. Uh, the poster is absolutely iconic <laughs> with Santa's arm coming out of the chimney with an axe. It is, it's such uh, um, a big movie in, in just like general discussion, but in terms of horror, you actually don't get people talking about it that much. Not not that I've heard, at least. Um, the franchise as a whole isn't really talked about. The, the conversation sort of ends after part two. And um, it's definitely not in the Friday the 13th, uh, Halloween, um, even My Bloody Valentine camp. I, I hear about My Bloody Valentine way more i found i've found that silent night deadly night is much more of a uh i guess uh, you know an underground cult classic than you would expect it to be with the amount and that's of the first one you mean right exactly yeah yeah, right. It's, okay, it's, yeah. it's 
it's more of a underground hit than you would expect for a movie that was so huge um, right when it came out. You know, the controversy was so big that in my senior year of university, I was taking a controversial cinema class. That that was the title of the uh, course. I wanted to take that. Man, yeah, it was it was a really cool movie or a really cool class. And while we didn't talk about this movie, um, it would have been a cool one to talk about. Um, our final project was that we had to write an essay about a controversial movie. It didn't have to be one we had seen in the class. And so uh, the final um, weeks of the semester were in December. And so I thought, man, it's such a cool idea. I'm stoked to uh i'm stoked that the snow has fallen you know i'm a big holiday guy and also yeah. I, I love slasher movies so i thought how perfect i'm gonna cap off my university career um by writing an essay about a slasher movie it's gonna be absolutely amazing and so for about 12 hours i got real deep into silent night deadly night because um i was home for the holidays uh you Convenient. know <laughs> but um, the essay was still due. And so I was, I, exams were all done. I was home, but I still oh, had to write oh, the home essay. For the holidays. Is that <laughs> I, anything? No, not really. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I still had to write this essay. It was due uh, at midnight the next day. So I was starting it the day before it was due. And I thought Silent Night, Classic. Deadly Night, sick. So I watched the movie um, for the second or third time at that point. Um, you know, because I'd already seen it with my roommate a year or two before. And I did a whole lot of reading. I found so many old, like, news clippings of people. Um, just old absolutely. Moms that look like Ronald Reagan's wife who are like, we can't show the children. That's, yeah, no, that's exactly right. And all the controversy is just about basically what you see Nancy in the Reagan. poster. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's 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 just about that the uh, that Santa is a killer. None of the discussion is actually about what you see in the movie and the the actual dark places the movie goes because um, it's it's more than just a slasher with Santa Claus at the helm. We've seen slashers since. You know, there's a reason that there's that a killer Santa has persisted and we've gotten more of those movies. It's cause it's a take that you can do in a whole lot of different ways, but the way silent night, deadly night does it is actually like a pretty grounded psychological way. And it sets that foundation before it turns into your more conventional slasher in the last half hour or so. And, um, as I was writing this essay, I, I probably got a few pages in and um, I had all these articles and stuff. And at some point I just decided it wasn't working. And I think that was because all the controversy didn't go much deeper than the premise of the movie. You know, it wasn't actually about what the movie had was to is. offer. Yeah. And, and so and like it's, it's got to be difficult. Like there is a way to spin that essay. And I guess I'm about to find it if you tried, where it's like your whole thesis is built around the ways in which the content of the film is either A, controversial for different reasons than one would assume, or B, goes against the controversy which existed around it. But like you're saying, that's a hard thing to prove in terms of like academically speaking. Um, you'd have to mount the argument basically that it's controversial for different reasons than people thought it was. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, 
I think my biggest struggle was just that in terms of secondary sources, um, as many as I could get, they all basically said the same thing. There wasn't, a, it didn't go a whole lot deeper than that. And so I could have analyzed the movie and talked about um, how, how I think it's subversive and, uh, and possibly reprehensible or possible, possibly, you know, saying stuff about uh, the commercialization of Christmas, because I think that stuff is in there too. But um, because the, the criticisms of the movie and the controversy of the movie actually didn't go as deep as I thought it might when, when you read on the Wikipedia page that this is like one of the most controversial horror movies of all time. Um, I, I found it didn't offer as much as I wanted, and so I ended up it's abandoning a it. Failure in controversial cinema. Yeah, yeah, like, truly, truly, and and people moved on from it so quick. I mean, all the articles I could find about it being controversial is just at the time of its release. You know, the controversy hasn't persisted because uh, people realize that you know that's not what the movie is, or they moved on to be angry about something else, and so it's. <laughs> It's, so it's not really a movie that uh, that has persisted both in in the cultural consciousness and in um, the horror landscape. It seems, um, and so yeah, I abandoned the essay. I ended up write, ended up writing it about uh, Larry Clark's nineteen ninety five movie Kids instead, uh, which offered a bit more. Um, Wait, and yeah, is that the movie Kids I'm thinking of, or is there a different one? Probably. The- I thought that movie was directed by uh, Harmony Korean. Am I no, wrong? No, no, he just wrote it. He wrote it. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah, I'm thinking. Okay, we're thinking the right one. You know, I do think it's really interesting though to look at um, what what the movie represents, and by the movie I mean the first movie, because then you get this sequel. Um, that maybe isn't all that surprising in its existence. It's maybe not the pinnacle of they made another one, but um, structurally it's so bizarre. Yes. And I actually find that it relies on a lot of the stuff that would have made it controversial at the time had people sat down and watched it. So that's like, that's really compelling where the thing that would be controversial here is not the Santa suit thing. Again, it's the child traumatizing and that's what you get a lot of. Do you want to talk a bit about the production? Because I feel like you're going to do a much better job than I would, seeing as I, I remembered this all happened literally yesterday. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so um, I got far away from where I started talking. But m- what I wanted to say was that I was in the same boat as you going into part two, despite having seen the oh, first really? movie. Yeah, despite oh my, having I'm seen... Done. And that's and that's what I'm saying is that I think most people are in this boat where it's such a meme, but because Silent Night, Deadly Night, the original isn't actually talked about that much, and the franchise people don't realize isn't that it. big. Got it. Yeah, yeah, people but don't you're actually the go guy, past. So I I would have assumed that you knew because you always know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you would absolutely think so, but because <laughs> other people aren't talking about really either of these movies, honestly, like the memes that you get from yeah. part two isn't just Garbage horror fans. Day is not talking about the movie. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
so so honestly this movie still felt like a discovery to me even though i knew the the big moment that was coming you know like wicker man style getting context felt Wait, really fresh there's a big moment i don't even know what you mean by big moment oh garbage day is the big moment oh got it okay i like, thought you meant like a big moment on the scale do you mean like not the bees in wicker man yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you meant meme-wise. I thought you meant, like, narratively. And I was like, hold on. What big moment? I will say, I spent most of the movie waiting for Garbage Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, we'll get to it. I was underwhelmed by it, but whatever. Gotcha. So, so yeah, I knew that Garbage Day was coming, but I, I didn't know the context at all. Um, I didn't know what this movie was about. Like, I didn't know who the Garbage Day Man was, even though I had seen the first the one. the Garbage Man, William. And um, once we started getting flashbacks in this movie to the first one, I, I it clicked for me, too. I was like, oh, this is the movie with the flashbacks. But I, I was sure that the flashback movie came later in the franchise. I, I definitely knew that that, um, was something that happened in this franchise. I had read that before, but I thought that Garbage Day would have been a separate movie from the movie yeah. that just has flashbacks to the first yeah. one. So, well, so yeah, I was surprised to be, too. This was new to, to me. be clear for anybody who didn't know this, the thing that Liam's hinting at is um, about 40 minutes of Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 is Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 1 uh, through archive footage and flashbacks. Um, in the little bit of reading that I was able to glean, um, it's mostly because this movie didn't have a fucking budget, but, uh, the studio, the studio actually wanted a sequel made entirely out of recut footage from the first movie. And the director, um, sorry, I'm, I'm walking around my room, so I don't have his name in front of me, Lee Harry, uh, he was like, no, let me make a movie, like an actual movie. And, um, they attempted that. And uh, really quick, Lee Harry, fascinating, per IMDb, he is known as an award-winning editor and producer of movie trailers, which is a cool. really cool gimmick to have. Yeah, he did, like, uh, I'm seeing here Barton Fake, No Country for Old Men, stuff like that, Tomb Raider. But I just thought that was a cool. He edited, uh, or he worked on the editing for Street Fighter in the movie. Um, but, so yeah, the big thing I, I didn't realize uh, is how much of this movie is the first movie. And to be honest, I didn't notice... Well, something felt off, but I did not assume what I was seeing was literally the first movie. Yeah, yeah. When did it hit for you? Because I was thinking about that as I was watching it. You know, I was thinking, what does Corey think of this not having seen the original? How are these scenes coming across to him? Um, so let me get my notes in front of me because I had some, like, really, <laughs> in hindsight, really compelling thoughts on the first part. Um, uh, in the first chunk of the movie that relies on, um, all the flashbacks, I, I had this, uh, this sense where I'm like, this is kind of, like, genuinely compelling. And... You know, I say that with surprise because this is the Garbage Day movie. Um, but in those flashbacks, there was this, there was a couple different senses that I was having. A, the movie felt tangibly older. <laughs> like, not in, like,
horror movie. I think in part because what we're talking about is that it's very like psychologically reliant and child trauma reliant, almost in a way that like The Exorcist is. I want to make abundantly clear that I am in no way directly comparing the two, but there was this tangible quality of difference in how the two things were going about what they were doing, um, by which I mean present-day Ricky stuff and flashback stuff. And there was something in um, the way that was being presented uh, that I thought was actually, like, honest to God, not joking, fascinating. Um, there's something in the fact that he's got, like, Ricky has, like, omniscient flashbacks. Because it's, and I realize that it's because it's, like, old footage. But how it's presented is that he somehow knows stuff that he shouldn't know. Or, like, it doesn't make sense for him to be able to explain. Um, and I know that's taking it a bit literally in terms of, like, it's a movie they're showing you stuff that maybe he didn't specifically know, but because he's reciting this to a psychologist, it's like, huh, how does he know this? It, 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 it gives his performance like a bit more menace than maybe it would because it's like, how does this guy know all this shit? Like his brother couldn't have just told him this. Like there's a disconnect that makes him a bit more immediately intimidating um, beyond the, the hokiness and the goofiness. But when you get the, the orphanage stuff, um, it's just, like, a genuinely compelling look at, like, a child having a miserable life and trying in vain to sort of live up to these, like, very draconian standards of this mother superior. Again, a great figure that we see in a lot of horror movies generally. Like, um, I, I had a note where I was like, Mother, Susper uh, Mother Superior is very Suspiria to me. Um, but looking at how this kid develops and he's like getting the belts and he's like getting conflicting instructions from authority figures and um, has PTSD effectively and flashing back to that moment. The movie early on does a lot of interesting stuff where when Billy or Ricky are having like trauma flashbacks, it cross cuts between them as a kid and them as an adult experiencing it. And there's like graphic matches in that. So then you'll get like, um, I think it's Ricky. I think it's Ricky when he sees the nuns walking down the street. I might be remembering this wrong, but there's one where like there's a physical action required and he's like mirroring the physics of it or the physicality of it in the room with the guy while remembering it. So all of this is to say, I'm getting, I'm getting away from what I mean. Um, genuinely good ideas. But it becomes clear that, uh, and this is tipping my hand a little bit, the good ideas are all from the first movie. Mm. Um, yeah. I, think, I think the second this movie drops the first movie, uh, it, it goes downhill in, a, in, in such a way that I can only describe my feeling as disappointment. Because the opening, I don't know, like half, um, that relies a lot on the weird flashback narrative structure um, and the weird narration and um, that weird, like, uncanny sense of omniscience and just focuses on, like, this difficult childhood and has, like, a weird quirky quality to it because of Ricky and also just because of, like, there does feel like there's a stark contrast between the flashbacks in the white room and there's, like, weird jokey lines with Ricky and... Um, 
the psychologist, like, as we laughed about earlier, here it comes, and, like, shit like that. Like, there's just the mixture of things coalesces into something interesting. But once there's nothing to mix it with, it feels like they ran out of ideas. I don't know. That's that's a really that's a really interesting take. I think this is going to be a great episode, listeners. You hear that? This is going to be awesome. Keep listening because <laughs> this is uh, now. This is like unlike any movie we've talked about before. Um, it's such an unconventional uh, take to do for a sequel. You know, it's sort of like a, a sequel or a, a remake that holds your hand through the first movie and then takes off running it's it's total uncharted territory and um i, I want to make it clear to you Corey, a, as you're like hesitant to compare this movie to the exorcist or uh, uh i think there's a pronounced quality gap between those two films <laughs> um and saying that you know the beginning was like gen- genuinely compelling and stuff um i want to make it clear that this is a no judgment zone in regards to Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part One and Two, and I am I'm so glad we're talking about this movie because um, once I realized that so much of it are flashbacks to that first movie, I realized, oh shit, Corey and I are basically going to be able to talk about two movies in one. I'm I'm getting Corey basically, to yeah. I'm I'm getting Corey to watch both movies right now, um, <laughs> and it's as someone who has seen the first movie. Um, you would uh i would expect that that first 40 minutes would be a slog for me um and and i know that a lot of people complain about this movie having all those flashbacks you know it seems lazy but um i didn't feel that way at all dude i'm right there with you that i thought the first 40 minutes were super compelling um the the twist that it puts on those original events um i because I've never really seen a sequel like this that um, is, you know, I, I don't know if I'd say recontextualizing those events. Um, I, that's exactly the word I was going to use, actually. Yeah, it's like, um, it's it's not putting an entirely different spin on them, but you're definitely getting a new layer on top where now you're yeah, getting... It's getting interpreted to you, like you're getting an angle on it right away because of how Ricky describes it, plus what you're actually seeing. Yeah, yeah. So I think that is really, really interesting. And um, it kind of has a feel of like uh, an anthology horror episode, like an Are You Afraid of the Dark or something, where you have this dude um, reciting these events and then you're cutting to the events happening with different actors um really different actors i mean even even himself played at like drastically different (laughs) puberty hit this guy hard hey i have a note actually specifically on that it was right in front of me just a second ago damn it where did it go um this is such a severe age jump from 12 to 17 yeah the only word i could think of was severe because he goes from like looking like a baby child to having like full on five o'clock shadow in yeah. like the span of a cut. Yeah, and then and then from there you get him looking like how he does now. So from like twelve, and you don't to... realize how fucking yoked that dude is until he's in that like dishwashing shirt, and you're like, oh my <laughs> god, he got fucking huge in like a year. 
What water was this guy drinking? <laughs> drinking the dishwater. Yeah, I, d I don't understand why you wouldn't just cast the same actor for everything uh, post puberty age here. Honestly, I want I want Ricky or I want Eric Freeman to play the kid in the flashback. Yeah. Like just cut. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, really quick, um it's the thing that, that's wild that I think we should touch on too is that the flashbacks are about a different kid. Like what a weird structural thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's um it's it's the sort of thing that like it's a cheat, but it makes enough sense that I'm willing to go with the movie. Like your the initial flashback we get about the uh, the Christmas Eve murders that happened to Ricky and Billy's parents. Um, yeah, Ricky was of an age where he would remember that. You know, he was five, six, seven years old. But um, sorry, I don't know if I just said Ricky or Billy. Billy, Billy, yeah, is like a a, a kid. That's Ricky right. Is yeah, like a literal infant. Yes, yeah. Um, and yeah, so we have the person who's recounting this story to the psychiatrist was an infant at the time. And so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But also, I think it's, uh, it's, it is an interesting wrinkle to kind of expand upon. Um, because, I mean, trauma kind of, it, it's going to impact the whole family you know the whole living family and so I was say, it certainly impacted the parents <laughs> so we've spent the first movie with billy um but he did he has a brother and so it it makes sense that the second movie is gonna is gonna explore that a little bit and you know in in some of the flashbacks to the original movie we're seeing stuff that is a bit different from the original film in order to uh to make Ricky a bit more pronounced. Um, but then oh, okay. we also, but we don't get that every single time. Like you said, some of it is just, we're just following Billy um, in, in, in sequences that Ricky wouldn't have been there for, but he's still telling the story, which I think is cool. Cause it's like a, it's a weird familial thing where you know that these guys are really connected and you don't know exactly how he knows these things, but you know that what's happened to his brother has affected him. So I think it's a really cool avenue to explore. And and then besides that, I just, I really, really like the first movie. I don't know if I said that, but I really like the first movie. And so for me, it's just, it's damn cool to, to put this movie on, see um, the Cliff Notes version of that first movie, get reminded of how much I like that one, uh, watch a highlight reel from that film. I'm totally down for that. And then at the halfway point, then switch and see what happens to Ricky once he's on his own. I think it's a, it's it's actually a really cool concept to have this second movie where like if you feel like watching uh the first two movies in this franchise but you don't quite have the time you just put on the second <laughs> one i think i think that's really neat and yeah. also we've, we've got to remember that silent night deadly night was pulled from theaters so quick because of the controversy it it got like a a two-week run or something and it got yanked out. And back then, uh, once a movie was in theaters, it, it wasn't on home video right away. It wasn't on the internet right away. You know, the movie was, it was out there and then it was gone. And so for a lot of people, it would have been their first time seeing this footage. Um, 
And if people had seen it, it would have been a, a distant memory at this point, you know, a three-year memory. It's not like nowadays where we we have the ability to stick with all these scenes and and analyze these frames and get so close to them and and uh, and then we need new Put your things eye right afterwards. Up to the yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, film was just a different thing back then, and so uh, this idea of doing a sort of clip show and then carrying on i think it's i think it's really charming and so i i really like the first 40 minutes of this movie as well yeah i think it's like it's a it's a genuinely interesting conceit born out of the need for resourcefulness which i think is kind of beautiful in that they needed to do that because they had no fucking money like and the studio just wanted to I'm assuming the studio wanted to recut the movie and make it a sequel because, like you're saying, people didn't really see the first one. So I'm assuming they're like, eh, we can get away with that. Yeah, but yeah, totally. The fact that the director, Lee Harvey, stuck to doing more, um, I think is, is a great idea. And I think the, the, the stuff with the psychiatrist, or the psychologist, whatever, simultaneously shows why that's a good idea and the exact ways the sequel is going to fall apart in the last 30 minutes. Um, because, um, first of all, I want to say uh, the opening credits uh, are fucking awesome. Like, uh, the sh opening with the shoe, and mm -hmm. it's just like a slow rise, and then you get um, his like dead eyes and the attendant coming in, and then there's like a cool camera move. And there's like the cigarette and the lighter. Like it's just visually compelling and very like understated, but there's like a flair to it. Um, and then, you know, the actual interactions that Ricky is having with, um, I forget the doctor's last name, so I'm just going to also call him Harry uh, or Henry. What is it? I don't know. Uh, what's the doctor's name? Ba -ba -ba -ba. Henry. Henry. Henry Bloom is the doctor. He just calls name. him Doc so much that I got used and to also that. Like, and also like asshole or whatever. The, I don't think he says asshole, but he calls him some mean stuff too. And um, yeah, uh, you know, it's um, some of it's <laughs> it, okay. It's goofy. It just is. Um, it's one of those things where it's hard to get a read on Ricky because this performance is all over the fucking place. Um, <clears throat> I think mostly for the first part of the movie, it, it works well enough. I'm not going to sit here and say it's great. There are parts where it's really kind of grating and annoying um, because it's so like, it's not stilted. Isn't the word I want, but it's like, it's uncanny. It's like a person who like doesn't know how to talk to people. Um, so there's like some funny lines in it, like uh, when he talks about the doc is like, he's got all this valuable time, whatever. And then later Ricky is like, am I wasting your valuable time? And um, there's some funny lines like that. Or like I when the doc, don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get to that one too. And um, there's a banter and discussion being had between them that I, I really like. Um, and not with the caveat of it's funny or stupid or anything. Like, I just like it. Uh, some of it's really interesting. And then, like, later when he tries to get into, like, the doc's, like, personal life um, and vice versa, 
there's some interesting stuff, and that's when you get into Ricky like moving around the room and seeing flashbacks and how that embodies itself physically and what he is doing in the room. Uh, I just like, but at the same time, the thing that the movie carries through with when it decides that it is done with Silent Night Deadly Night Part One is the silly stuff and not the um, more uncanny kind of weird, but um, I don't know what word I want. Like, because it's not grounded. Grounded's not the word I want. But there's something that feels more honest, I guess. I don't know. That's not really the word I want either. But there's something about the way those scenes interact with flashbacks that is lost when the flashbacks go away. Um, and it becomes a lot more conventional, and it becomes a lot fucking stupider. Uh, I think the movie transitions to a downhill trend after Ricky's adoption, like once that phase is over. Cool. Okay. Yeah. But I want to give you space to talk about like the flashback bit a bit more if you want before I get there, because it's a pretty significant jump. Um, and like we could get really into the minutia of the flashbacks themselves, but like you said, that is kind of talking about two different movies. Um, so I'll, I'll try to do that in a broad way. Uh, Broadway. Um, like the the stuff at the orphanage is just traumatizing, and that's the stuff that's presented with what feels like an older, like a '70s horror sensibility almost, in a way that I really like. It feels different. Um, and uh, Mother Superior is like a really fucking weird figure, and um, the uh, the uh, just the stuff that the kid has to go through, Billy, is just like really fucking rough. But I think <laughs> those become like slasher movie hilarious when Billy gets the Santa job, <laughs> which is a bit of a speed away from the opening. Um, because there's interesting stuff in the opening, too. There's, like, the policeman who's, like, checking out the grounds, and then there's, like, uh, he gets bodied and, like, sent down the stairs. Or is that even... That might be later. I don't remember anymore. It's hard to keep track of this movie. But, he gets um, bodied. <laughs> he does. Yeah, that, was a, bit, that was a bit later, yeah. Yeah, but in any case, um, like, watching Billy, like, deal with kids as Santa, and they're like, oh, he's so good with kids, and really just like, oh, you'll get fucking punished if you're bad. Like, Severely. <laughs> Severely. Um, but the thing I'm trying to get to here is when he starts killing people, it's fucking hilarious. Uh, well, it's hilarious when he rips that dude's shirt completely off his body. The first one is a little bit less hilarious because it's a woman being assaulted and then she witnesses a murder in cold blood and also obviously was not really looking for that to happen. Um, but there's like a good classic slasher sensibility to those like Billy scenes when he's older. Yeah, so so you're saying Billy's killing, so the the you know uh, thirty minute mark in the movie when we're still in uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part One flashbacks. You're saying that's hilarious. Um, some of it was like he rips the dude's shirt clean off of his body. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm not questioning you. I I seriously, I'm trying I'm um, trying to make sure that well, you're talking about that and not the the killings in Part Two. Yeah, no, I am. I think there is, like, there's, like, fun, maybe hilarious is not the right word, 
but there is fun to be had with that. Um, like yeah, that's and fun slasher shit. And um, fun, it, fun in the way that the killings that then take place in part two aren't. You're saying. Um. Because I'm just, it's just interesting to me that you say that. Different, they're different things. So, you know, maybe I misspoke a little bit because I think you're right. And I think I get what you're gesturing at. Here's more what I mean. So, um, let's take Billy in the Christmas toy store as an example. It's got that weird motif of the, of like the dolls that it keeps cutting back to and like, you're getting your dark, ominous kind of thing, and you're getting, like, the rowdy, drunk coworkers and stuff, and then the two that grab, like, the mistletoe and fuck off. And, like, you're starting to get into more traditional slasher movie territory. Like, you're getting the pushy guy, um, the girl, the fact that teenagers aren't supposed to be having sex or adults, whatever they are, uh, and a slasher villain who doesn't like when people have sex in movies. Um, and then, you know, I think... I did misspeak a little bit because some of that's actually pretty, like, grim, you know? Like, it's dark and, like, people get, like, people don't just die. Like, people get, like, harmed. You know what I mean? Um, mm. Like, people get hurt, and that's what kills them. Because uh, now I'm thinking more about the pool table late couple. Uh and, like, obviously, the, the the girl gets killed in, like, a very Texas Chainsaw send-up kind of way. Because um, th- those deer antlers are basically a meat hook at that point. But um, he just fights the other guy. And it's just, like, some real, like, slobber knocker shit. Like, they're just fighting. And the guy is fighting to not die. So, while it's hilarious that he gets his shirt ripped clean off his body... Um, it is easy to focus on the sillier stuff to, I guess, ignore the thing that I'm highlighting here, which is that some of it's pretty fucking bleak, actually. You're right. Yeah. Um, I, I I agree with you um, in both senses. I think it's fun. I think it's bleak. It's just the reason I ask is is just because you described the killings that happen at the end of part two after we get away from the part one flashbacks. You said that those get silly um, and, and, you know, over the top. And then you kind of said the same thing about the killings that we see in the flashbacks in part yeah, one. So I'm just wondering what the, what the difference is. Um, but that makes, that makes sense. It, that makes sense. What yeah, you said. I think what I just said right now is true of the first part. That's what I mean. I think it's like what I was saying where the second half of the movie sort of loses something in that it, he's literally walking down the street with a stolen gun, just shooting random people or like, sticking an, an umbrella through a guy and then opening it and it's covered in blood and then it immediately starts pouring rain and you know you're gonna want that umbrella good thing i stuck it completely through your body um and that doesn't feel like it's from the same movie um and that's what's weird it, it feels like they start leaning into like being an outright black comedy horror slasher thing like, that umbrella kill feels like the Jason Voorhees sleeping bag. Yeah. And they did that, I feel like, in those later Friday the 13th movies very deliberately because the franchise had become a different thing by that point. You couldn't do it conventionally because you've done it, like, eight times. Whereas this feels like a very stark departure because tonally, 
I feel like despite the weirdness of Eric Freeman and that performance in the first bit, it still feels like part of the same whole. And then the second half doesn't feel that way. Yeah, and, and that's got to be just because um, it, it is a cool conceit, like we said, but also the first it's movie is just doing... The first movie is doing so much heavy lifting in that first 40 minutes, you know? Oh, yeah. It's mostly the first movie. I think the flashbacks are good because they are recontextualizing a good movie, you know? Like, if the flashback, I mean, if if Friday Night, or Friday Night, Deadly Night, (laughs) Oh, man. um, That's a spec script right there. If, um, Crossover dude, Billy versus Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Is it even funny that that team, I was the Friday Night Lights. If those flashbacks <laughs> were shot and written by the team that did this movie, <laughs> they would, oh my the God. movie would be, you know, because you got we got to keep in mind that it's it's not the same team at all, you know. Um, yeah. So uh, so I'll get out there and and say where I'm at with this thing. I I'm very much with you in those first forty minutes. I think it's so cool that you were able to buy into the conceit and and take those some of those conversations seriously um you know the the exchanges between seriously to an extent <laughs> yeah yeah of course of course because <laughs> you, you you can only do so much uh um and i am with you i thought for so much of that first 40 minutes i was thinking man what were they thinking casting eric freeman because if they had cast someone different hell if they had cast the person who plays um, Ricky at 15 or 17, you know, whatever it is. The, that the kid who was in the, in the Jeep? The kid yeah. who looks like Freddie Highmore? Yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far because if he looked like that, <laughs> I wouldn't want anything to do with him. <laughs> but, he has a, a similar vibe. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but... If if they had cast someone different in the part of Ricky, I think that despite using the flashbacks, which I know a lot of people have a problem with, um, I think this movie would be talked about a lot more seriously because I think that the conversation between Doc and Ricky is a really cool conceit. I think a lot of that dialogue is good. Um, I think that just having these two characters in a room talking about the events of the first movie and cutting back and forth between them, sometimes very rapidly, like you said, I think a lot of that stuff is very effective. And I think if they had a different actor in that role, then um, this would be regarded uh, much more highly, or at least regarded highly for different reasons than it is. Um, and so that was my struggle for a whole lot of the first half of this movie. I was just thinking, man, um, I'm liking 
the idea. I'm liking the clips from Silent Night, Deadly Night 1. Of course, if they had just cast someone different, then... Spitting this... distance from greatness is how I would describe it. Exactly, exactly. Um, because as as much as I was liking uh, the the dialogue that I was hearing and thinking about uh, intellectually, the fact can't be denied that they're being delivered by Eric Freeman, who is really such an on-screen fucking force though like you can't yeah. take that away from him no of course of course but uh i actually i think we've done a really impressive job on this episode so far at not just talking about him because uh <laughs> i i've seen a couple of reviews of this movie and that's that's really a whole lot of what you get is people just talking about that and i think there's more to it than eric freeman's performance but of course it has to be talked about because his performance is at first, what kept this movie from greatness for me? And then as I was watching it more and more and spending more time with this dude um, and kind of having to accept it for what it was, saying, okay, this movie isn't going to achieve greatness in that way because of what this dude is doing. Um, he's keeping the movie from really hitting those peaks that that both you and I are kind of feeling it would be yeah. capable of. Or the director um, is, in his defense, like I know a lot of it's him making choices, but like he's getting direction that the director was happy with absolutely absolutely what yeah when i say when i say eric freeman you know that's just because that's the dude on screen delivering yeah, we're not blaming but him. i'm absolutely not blaming him you know i think uh, a bad performance um the actor is the last person to blame when when yeah. that sort of thing happens um uh so by the time the 40 minute mark came I, I was thinking okay i've liked the idea i am now I'm worried about where this is going to go because I know we don't have the original to fall back on. Um, and so I was definitely at risk of coming down where you came down, where the the air in the balloon is going to be deflated in the last half of this movie. Um, but fortunately for me, I found that because Eric Freeman's performance was was laced throughout that first 40 minutes was was sort of bubbling beneath the surface and <laughs> and and i saw what he was doing in between these moments of greatness you know um if the first 40 minutes had just been flashbacks uh to that to to the first film or maybe if they had just been flashbacks told through voiceover and we didn't get to spend that time with uh ricky and see what he's doing and and get an idea for his physicality and stuff if we didn't get that i think the last 40 minutes of the movie would be much more jarring but because um 40 minutes in i did get a feel for this character and this actor um and what you know he's bringing to the table i found that the last 40 minutes of this movie was the cherry on top of the <laughs> sunday i found that i was like Man. so amazed at how much fun i ended up having like i i really feel like i got to have my cake and eat it too in this movie because um i felt like i took it seriously for those first 40 minutes i really did and then once that switch is flipped then i got to enjoy it as uh the movie that i was pretty sure it was going to be for the entire runtime you know i didn't feel let down because 
Eric Freeman was there the whole time. And so once we get to spend so much time with him, we get a bit more typical slasher fare where you're going from one setting to the next uh, and someone gets killed. Die. Yeah. Um, I, ju- I just found that it was so ref- like refreshing, especially because that first 40 minutes is very dark, um, both in terms of the subject matter and in terms of like just lighting and stuff. Whereas yeah. this movie, um, it's very bright. You're in suburbia, a lot of it. You know, when I saw the Garbage Day clips when I was a kid and I heard it was from this movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night, and I knew that was a Christmas movie, it never quite computed because I was like, well, who yeah. is this talk guy? Yeah, we about that part. Because that, that doesn't, to me, this movie doesn't feel like a Christmas movie at all. But, yeah, yeah, especially but, once you get past those first 40 minutes, right? Um, yeah. And it's not just a lack of snow, right? Because, like, it's got all the motifs you would want, but it just it doesn't come together that way. It lacks the atmosphere, I guess, but I don't want to derail you here. No, yeah, you're, you're totally right. And so um, because I, I sort of got my Christmas itch scratched with the first 40 minutes of the movie, I found that I was just really able to enjoy um, the, the life and times of ricky after he gets out of (laughs) after he gets out (laughs) after he gets out of the mental ward i liked the kills i like the various locations he goes to like movie theater uh park (sighs) street um back alley (laughs) i just (laughs) uh theater road outside inside (laughs) he's all over the place up down (laughs) um and so yeah this movie dude was uh was such a winner for me i will likely watch this again before christmas happens um, as we get as we get further into december i think i thought this was totally cool and cool in the way that i wasn't expecting because um i knew garbage day just like you and so i thought that this was going to be a, a bad performance movie and and that was going to be it and i was going to be laughing at it the whole time but that's not what happened at all um i was really into it for the first 45 minutes really captivated really interested in the approach and then uh the last 40 minutes i found that i was actually sort of attached to this guy and like the the story wow. he was telling and so so seeing what he does after he gets out of the office was was fun to me and um it, it ended up all working um before we move on can you give me your best garbage day yeah i can please garbage day <laughs> see that was really good because you got the weird like chuckle angle on it like oh dude the chuckle is arguably the biggest part of his character even above eyebrows possibly <laughs> and buffness. yeah the eyebrows chuckle, carry the fr- eyebrows buffness. <laughs> the eyebrows star in the first 40 minutes and then the last 40 minutes his chuckle is what brings us home and like the weird smirk like <laughs> oh my gosh yes but uh you know um Really quick, I do want to touch on for a movie with this many people in Santa suits murdering or being murdered. It's truly unbelievable how little this feels like a Christmas film. Yeah, it feels like a Christmas movie, um, like one of those Christmas movies that's shot in a place that doesn't get snow. 
And it's like those movies. Oh, yeah, they exist. shot this in California somewhere. And those movies do exist, but I never really want to watch them. And the same thing sort of applies when I think of like, what would it be like to live in California for Christmas time? It's just like, okay, it's Christmas, but it wouldn't really feel like Christmas to me. And so it's, uh, I understand, like, I would understand watching this every year. It, um, but it's it's not a Christmas movie the way that. Us, I mean, especially us being Canadians would think of a Christmas movie, you know? Yeah, because I, I, I don't know what other places associate with Christmas come December to make it feel Christmas. Because for us, it's like, well, the outside is different now. Guess it's Christmas again. Yeah. And it's going to be Christmas for the next two and a half months or whatever um, until it becomes waiting for spring. But... I just thought that was, it's bizarre that that's the thing that it doesn't nail. Speaking of things I don't think it nails, uh, poster, much weaker execution, I think, on the gimmick, where it's just a, a, one of those bulb ornaments, and there's just a big gun on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Feels like it's lacking the, uh, but, the creativity. But honestly, it's, um, it's... More appropriate for this movie. Exactly. It's just as appropriate as the first one is to that movie, you know, because this movie isn't quite about a killer Santa and it's not about the same killer Santa as last time. And so um, it's about a gun for sure. Yeah. So it's honestly kind of perfect, man. And it is a more blunt execution on the idea in the way that the second half of this movie kind of lacks the delicate touch. Yeah. The first stuff. But so the stuff that I can't, I just can't, I just can't in the second half is. So, A, you are a lot more reliant on Eric Freeman for better or worse. And um, so you're getting just a lot more of him, period, which is a bit of a difficult thing to swallow at times. But um, I've never been more annoyed by a cast of characters, maybe in my entire life. Um, Mostly, like, I'm thinking of that movie theater sequence. I could, like... I was losing my fucking mind. Like, not in a dramatic, like, theatrical way, like I sometimes say on this show that I'm, like, hooting and hollering, whatever. But I was sitting there, and I was, like, looking at the time, and I was like, when is this scene going to fucking end? Like, Wow. Um, was it, like, Everything uh... about that just annoyed the shit out of me. No, okay. Interesting. I think, um... Annoyance is kind of like a big thing in slasher movies, particularly 80s movies, where you just have people that are so obnoxious and uh, and you've got to spend time with them before seeing them get got. So maybe it's just something I'm a bit used to. Um, but I I really liked that setting. Um, I liked that they were watching the, the a movie. The weirdest looking movie theater in the world. <laughs> yeah, so well lit, eh? <laughs> yeah, and there's six people in it. And... Uh... All the chairs appear to be on a flat surface. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and they're watching a movie about a killer Santa, which is actually <laughs> just the first clips from the first movie, oh, is which still is like the first movie. Oh it my is. god, that's so because the aspect ratio changes. So I thought they must have shot new stuff. Yeah, no, and so when that happened, dude, when that happened, I was like, oh shit, we scream now. Like this movie is meta as hell. <laughs> and then, um. 
Uh, you know, I just the idea of someone being so annoyed by people talking in a movie theater that he kills them. Like I saw that coming from a mile away. And so I was just stoked on that. You know, it gives me Seinfeld, George Costanza memories. And then we get Jennifer's uh, persistent boyfriend who named Chip uh, who has a ducky haircut. And like, I just I, I have a ducky haircut. Yeah, I, I really liked him in just the 80s douche way. I, I yeah. uh it's it like worked they for did me. it. They did it too much. Like it's too good and it's too much of it. Whereas, like I just found him <laughs> insufferable, but not in an enjoyable way. Like, where I, I think, like, God, I fucking hate this guy. And that's the goal, I imagine. But as a viewer, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to watch this man act. That's a that's like, a good way to summarize this movie. Is it's too good and it's too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, because yeah, and then you get Jennifer who. What yeah? What did like you think what, of her? I like what the actor's doing, because um, she feels like a lot more of a real person than Ricky does. Yeah, so yeah, I liked her, I liked her a lot. Like she feels very like real. She feels like a person, whereas Ricky feels more like a force. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> <He's> just... <laughs> what? No, that's a really good way to put it. He is. Like, he's inhuman. He's unnatural. I know, that's why like, I kind of like the flashbacks making him seem omniscient, because it makes him seem like some sort of like ethereal oh. demon, man. Dude, I honestly love that. I don't know if that um, that reading has ever been... <laughs> Put on record on the internet so i love i love that you said because that's that's really cool and i agree with you yeah but yeah i, I like what she's doing because she feels very like real and i hate that's the only word i can think of but she also like um like the way she interacts with chip i like because she's just so sick of his shit that like oh. Yeah, she's such a badass, hey? Like, he, he's yeah, just, like, really putting it on himself. her, and she's like, no, dude. Yeah, oh, what? You're gonna, like, go cheat on me again, or whatever the fuck she says? Like, I don't remember the precise, uh, the precise lines here, but, um... Yeah, we stand, Jennifer. We do. Um, <laughs> also, can we talk about the trailer for Chaos, the motion picture? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, I also have a note here that just says um, the line I never want, wanted to lose her. And that's a good, that's another good Eric Freeman line read. Also, they do a meet cute by him hitting him with a car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Action just, like, spectacular. Jacket, just, just revving a motorcycle on some real James from Twin Peaks shit. Just like sitting there revving a motorcycle. Yeah, oh man. I I loved the meat cute because it's like <laughs> it it contributes to this sort of storytelling, like ethereal quality of this movie where we're not really dealing with real people because yeah, Eric Freeman like Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. So so I thought I thought that was really charming. I dug I dug that. Yeah, and like like I'm saying here, there's stuff to like, but I found that like the experience of watching it, I didn't super enjoy. Maybe I'm like talking about it a little bit more. Um, also, the the psychiatrist getting killed after Eric tells him about the fact that he killed that guy with the umbrella, and it's like the I love what the psychiatrist goes. This wasn't in my notes. <laughs> like, yes, yes. Oh, oh, I didn't know about I didn't know 
killed this other guy. Yeah, and that's so good because it it serves really well as your stepping point between the first movie and the second movie. It's like, okay, shit, now we're now we're, we're going off, off. Yeah, we're off book, and we're seeing uh, what Ricky does when he's left to his own devices. And I yeah. I should also say that. Um, the umbrella murder scene was yeah. when I knew I was now on Ricky's <laughs> yeah. side Dude, because Ricky's immune to punches. <laughs> and like I said, those first forty minutes, I wasn't sure uh, if I liked him because I didn't know if I I wanted to pick up what he was putting down. I wasn't sure if I was going to be disappointed. But then when he lifts the umbrella and we see this like f- wide eyed frown he, uh, that he has as he's looking <laughs> at it. Oh my gosh, it is so amazing. And then um so I liked I liked Eric in in that scene a whole lot. And then just the method of killing, putting the umbrella through and then opening it like Mary Poppins inning him. I'd never I also even... fucking said that in my notes <laughs> that like a Mary it was a very Mary Poppins. Yeah. Mary Poppins. Kill, um, I said that killing is logistical nonsense and I loved that it immediately pours rain. Yeah, like that that is when I knew that this movie was gonna be uh this now na- this segment of the movie now is gonna be more tongue in cheek and a bit more goofy when he opens the umbrella and then it starts well, actually, raining. You know what I think is the tipping point? Hmm. Going too fast for you, Doc? Red car, good point. <laughs> Yeah, that was that's. <laughs> that's so I good got too. a job. <laughs> but even then, that's the sort of line where, like, I can't tell if if um it's humorous <laughs> it's and not. I'm liking it. Yeah, because of his performance. Because I feel like another actor could sell that in a way that, like, yeah, he's like being snarky and uh, having a bit of a sense of humor, but also we're still taking him serious as as a person who has his faculties and is like messing with this dude. Whereas um, the, um, with the umbrella kill and just the filmmaking of it, I knew that, okay, this is like, I'm supposed to be laughing at this. And then once we get yeah. to the movie theater scene um, is when I really realized that this movie is, is just going for it. Um, uh, in regard- like, yeah, you go. That's where, lot, that's where it started losing steam for me a bit. Um, it's just because I found that like every bit from there on out and like every scene and every conversation feels like it's really dragged out. Like everything feels elongated and like it takes forever. And, um, and then like the chip kill is like weirdly underwhelming. (laughs) Like the effect isn't that great or anything. Um, so like, I found that like the further we got, like what happened for me it's the same thing that you're saying where like it gets goofier and sillier and you're more supposed to laugh at it, but it also like commits to bits for longer amounts of time. And for me, that just sort of like it, it, it made everything take longer and I lost interest and I was less invested because it lost that angle from the beginning. Um, and then like, as I'm sure we'll get to now, then he just starts shooting people. I think there is a funnier line than Garbage Day in that sequence, actually. Oh, I'm sure there is, but I, I want to know what it is. So, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's right before or right after Garbage Day because he's shooting people. He, I think it's when the guy comes out of his house and he's like, what's all that noise? And then he just shoots him. He goes, Bingo! <laughs> Oh, he says he says bingo when he's shooting the car that's coming toward him. Oh, right, uh, and then he yeah, he's, 
trying to hit the radiator, I think. And yeah. he hits it a bunch and he goes, bingo! And then it just inexplicably explodes. Yeah, dude. And then, oh. That's a great fucking bit. Like, the, um, the, uh, <laughs> and then he just, like, the car explodes and then he just scowls again. And then he looks at his like, gun and... Yeah, like, that is a good bit. I will give the movie that. <laughs> yeah, um, it but really... It's garbage day, man. Like... <laughs> it is, uh, it's an incredible, um, preemptive climax, because then, surprisingly, we do leave the street and we go somewhere yeah. else for, for a I'm bigger saying, climax. It starts to feel so long, is because it's like, oh my god. The movie feels like it ends three times. Yeah, and fair play to that, because, um... You know, this is clearly a movie where they were sort of floundering, making it up as they go along, and they were just trying to reach feature length, you know? They used all the flashbacks. And they, they barely could. do, with and, 40 uh, extra minutes of footage. Yeah, and that opening credit sequence lasts a long time. Like, like it works for us, because uh, yeah. I think it's you and I are sort of... interesting, but, like... Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it it succeeds uh despite its like the the practical motivation behind it and so yeah i un- i understand that um it feels like that last section is dragging out um for me it didn't feel that way just because i was now so into his character and laughing with him and so um uh like i think it's 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 totally ridiculous how long the garbage day killing spree goes on you know because it's not he doesn't just kill the man taking out his garbage which surprised me yeah he's walking so slowly um uh and so i was my mind was like blown to have finally have context to garbage day and realize that my like my imagination over the last 15 years was so wrong like i figured he was i figured the the dude taking out his garbage was a significant character that had like had sex with the blue sweater man's wife or something and now he was finally cracking on christmas day and and went out into his neighborhood and and shot the the dude i want to see that movie honestly that sounds interesting um so it was so strange to me to finally have context to this um but because i was so into eric freeman's performance i mean the the amount of time that the movie takes uh was really just pleasing for me i mean just like imagine like you got a box of pizza in front of you while you're watching this you could like get a couple slices down just in that gun spree alone (laughs) (laughs) you really could man and like you know that's why I think I think the thing that's even harder to sit through is the fucking actual climax, like the Santa suit, uh, Mother Superior bit, and then you've got like random unrelated police officer who is now involved for some reason, just some random fucking Buckaroo Banzai looking wannabe guy, <laughs> and uh, they're they're like, oh, we know where he's gonna go. He's gonna go try to get her, and he kills a man for a Santa suit, and then like, um. You know, we've got Mother Superior clearly being played by a different person, which I'm assuming is why they opted yeah. to, like, do the prosthetic. Because I'm not a doctor, but I don't think having a stroke does that. Yes, yeah, I was so confused, too. That must be the reason, because if they had shot something... But, like, look that... at the difference between Ricky and the kid 
who, first of all, we haven't, that's the funniest kill in the movie when he just drives back and forth over that guy's body. Absolutely yes. the funniest thing in the movie. But, like, the difference between him and Ricky, adult, Ricky Prime, is so severe that, like, who cares? Yeah, that is a really good point. Um, <laughs> it's just, if this were any other movie and there was something unexplainable like that, my mind would go to something was left on the cutting room floor. There was an explanation shot or there was an action sequence <laughs> yeah. shot that they had yeah. to drop. But in this case, they had to use everything they had. And so, they used every frame. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it must just be to disguise the actress, or just like because um, I don't know, maybe like the the night before the director had a dream where like someone had a deformed <laughs> face, and they were like, "Hey, we have to do this." It's it is a very strange choice, and it it had me thinking like, did I forget something about the first movie? What am I what am I missing right. here? It, it's just so did peculiar. But then acid attack. Like what happened? Um, but then now it now it's just become you know one of those uh, eccentricities that I can kind of point to in the movie that just make it more memorable and and weird. You know, that, yeah. Then we get like the the encounter in Mother Superior's house, um, which I found mostly kind of dull, honestly. And um, you know, we can get, delve into some specifics if you've got any. My biggest complaint is that the big line at the end, after Ricky has been loaded with one-liners, mm, is yeah. just so weak. Such a weak note to end on. <laughs> it is, um, absolutely. And what you're referring to is naughty this, right? Yeah, like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, Corey... It worked on me the same way I'm a turtle and I can't get up. <laughs> Where it's just like the movie has put together these string of just like ridiculous jokes and lines that are falling flat that don't mean anything. And then for there to be emphasis put on one of them, it just hit me in the right way. And uh, it it worked. But But you're absolutely right in terms of you know, other stuff he gets in the movie, it doesn't quite stack up. But also, like, Garbage Day also doesn't mean anything. <laughs> well, it's just a sure silly delivery. He was throwing out his garbage. So he's like, Garbage Day? <laughs> and Mother like, Superior said the word naughty. So he was like, Naughty. Naughty. <laughs> you know, I can't argue with that. Um, you got me. I'm a yeah. fraud. <laughs> the the climax you said it feels a bit dull. I would say yeah, I'm 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 in a similar boat especially because it follows the the killing spree on the street which is just so good. I mean, it has garbage day, it has bingo, um it has him uh going to commit suicide which is um really good it has uh him <laughs> shooting him shooting that cop who gets way too close to him uh and so all that stuff is just huge and then to go to mother superior's house it it feels i i understand that it, it might feel like it's uh just putting another climax on this movie to get there but i liked it because one it carries through something from the first movie that is essential to the first movie but also is sort of incongruous with the first movie um like you said that the orphanage sequences in the first film that we see in the flashbacks feels very 70s it feels um 
uh, just like a different style than the rest of the movie. Different. Yeah, and and that's very much the case. Um, watching the movie front to back, it's strange that the orphanage is actually so much of a centerpiece that we get Billy as a kid at the orphanage, and then we get the toy the toy store killings, and we get like a um the killing at the sledding hill and a teenager's house. All that oh, stuff. Oh yeah, that, all I... that's yeah. Um, Why was that even in there? All that stuff is like a bit more typical slasher movie, especially typical for a slasher in a Santa costume. But then the fact that the climax of that first movie also goes back to the orphanage that doesn't feel very Christmassy. It doesn't feel, you know, there's not a whole lot of snow. There's just some police in pursuit of him. It feels sort of clinical and like personal to this character. It's not just relying on the gimmick of a Santa Claus killer at Christmas time. It's actually following through on this story that it's laid out for this character. And so to have the sibling of Billy um, also have to follow that through and have his own climax uh, with Mother Superior from that orphanage at her own house sort of felt fitting to me. Um, Seeing Ricky in the Santa Claus outfit was nice. and uh, some of the chasing was 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 fun to me. I mean, you get uh, <laughs> she has to jump out of her wheelchair to get out of the way of his swinging axe. And then she falls down the stairs and then she seemingly has another wheelchair at the bottom of the stairs that she gets well, into. <laughs> in her house, that is clearly not in any way wheelchair accessible. Yeah. I could see that being a requirement. Like, you see how high that fucking faucet was? It was like, I could barely reach it. Yeah. I'm, like, standing on my own feet. Like, her house is very much not built for her predicament. Um, <laughs> so, I, I was able to sort of, like, get over the second wheelchair. The thing I had a harder time believing is that that axe got stuck on the thin leather seat of the wheelchair. I know, yeah. Um. So, th- those are things that, at that point in the movie, they're just charming to me like they're silly and charming i like that he smashes the tv that's playing a santa claus parade i mean yeah i love any scene of a tv being destroyed honestly oh yeah twin peaks what up i like that her house is number 666 like it's just yeah like Like, why would she even say yes to living there i because she's evil man she's actually evil well I don't think the movie's making that argument with that. <laughs> oh no, it's not. It's not making any argument. Oh, okay. <laughs> also, um, um, uh, what the fuck is the last shot of the movie? Who is well, like? Who is that? What is that? What? Yeah. So explain it to people. I can't. Like, Ricky explain dies. Like, what? What we see? Spoilers. Ricky dies. Um, and, like, it's Ricky's face, and, um, I think it just cuts, and it's just, like, I don't know what it is. Like, it's a guy, I think, like, you can't, I don't know, like, I don't know. A a guy, like, punching something? Uh, it's not Ricky, I know that. Uh, but I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. Cool, yeah, I like that explanation. It's super perplexing. I'm totally with you. When it happened, <laughs> you I like thought... You the explanation where I didn't explain anything. 
<laughs> I love it. I love elaboration. Um, what it what it looked like to me um, was an arm in a Santa Claus outfit, you know, big red sleeve, um, swinging a knife toward the camera. That's what I thought I saw. Uh, can I tell you what Wikipedia says it is? Yeah. The final shot shows Billy's arm dressed in a Santa suit, plunging a knife into the screen. Yeah, there you go. That uh. Why, how is it Billy? I don't know. I don't know. I think I think like, that why is. Why would it creating... be Billy? Like, what is the play there? I think it's just yeah. a Santa arm. Yeah, I think that's creative liberty on the part of the Wikipedia author, unless that is a clip from the first movie, in which case, technically, it is Billy's arm, but <laughs> being recontextualized in this movie, I don't think it's necessarily Billy's arm. It's just a Santa Claus arm stabbing the screen. It's very abrupt and feels... Um, Sorry. It, it feels like it's... Uh, like an alien edited the movie and, and just like read that, uh, okay, uh, the last second of a movie is supposed to make you jump. Uh, this is the film we have left. Uh, stabby stab could make someone jump. Let's put that at the end. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, uh, I laughed really hard. So I'm looking at the references on the Wikipedia page, of which there are nine. Um, and <laughs> a full third of them are bloody disgusting. Nice. nice. And one of them is an Amazon link. <laughs> um, also, there's six of these. Yeah. How the yeah. fuck is there... Well, one of them I'm, I'm reading is a loose remake. So, like, maybe let's say there's five of them for the sake of argument. I'm sorry, the, the remake stars Malcolm McDowell? Yes. Excuse me? Yeah. We're uh, coming for you, Silent Night. Christmas 2021. Okay. What the fuck? Um, that's... That's something else. The, the rest of the franchise really is ripe for the They Made Another One picking, because... It, it, even though uh, the fran well, because the franchise as a whole isn't talked about all that much, the first and second ones are really as far as the conversation goes, and so as little as I've heard about the first two, I have heard even less about all those <laughs> other movies, and so so right. it would it would be cool to visit any one of those for the podcast. Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night Four Initiation has a fucking amazing tagline. Tell um, it. And Let it out. And if I die before I wake, thank you. Thank you? <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> that is if like... I die before I wake, thank you. <laughs> that is what? the most... What this movie says fucking crazy. <laughs> oh, um, man. Can I read... Like a couple lines from this? Not a lot, like a couple. Yeah. Um, the plot focuses on a Los Angeles newspaper reporter who, while investigating the unexplained death of a woman, becomes entangled with a group of witches who are preparing her for their final ritual on Christmas Eve. The film bears no resemblance to its predecessors because it drops the slasher-based Santa theme completely. Also, one other thing I'm going to say... Uh, is the following line. 
when a woman is discovered dead on the sidewalk, half burned into ashes in an apparent case of spontaneous human combustion, Kim decides to pursue the story on her own without Eli's approval. Wow. This franchise goes places, man. It I really mean, does. I mean, it it was bound to, right? If this is where you're at by movie number two, <laughs> by movie number, <laughs> number five, five. <laughs> oh my gosh, this this best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three in terms of uh, just getting there quickly, you know, just going. Yeah, man. Like, there's only you can only go up. That's all. That's it. You know. I love it. Also, effects are in that movie. Um, uh, b- 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 sorry, I lost my train. I thought I lost the line I have in front of me. Um, the effects are by somebody. This is a name I've heard, but I just want to give this person's name a shout out. Screaming Mad George. Holy shit, oh. what a name. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do I do know him. He's done work on uh, quite a lot of horror movies. Yeah, a- a.k.a. Joe Gitani. Mm-hmm. Um, Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. That's a good fucking title, too. Anyway, I'm going to spiral down here. Uh, oh, Faust! He did Faust! <laughs> that movie's gross! <laughs> um, oh! They show a little China! Oh! Oh, Dream War! This shit's done fucking everything! Yeah, totally. Holy shit! Yeah. Straight and Mad George, let's go! Also, Wikipedia does not know how old they are. Oh, I, I love when Wikipedia articles have that. It's so interesting. Yeah, but um, it sounds like we're done with Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Yeah, yeah. In in closing, I'll say um, I think it's a, a perfect Christmas horror movie because your first 40 minutes, you've got uh, dark darkness you've got santa claus actually killing people uh you got some typical slasher fare you get some character work i think that this movie actually deals with trauma in some really cool ways there are some very cool sequences that uh depict trauma and and the impact that it has on a young person and then in the last 40 minutes you get a a popcorn pizza fest of you know you guys have seen the Garbage Day clip. It is it is just more of that. The movie doesn't peak with Garbage Day. Eric Freeman is there the whole movie, and uh, he's just he's dropping bombs everywhere. And so I think this movie is a blast. I, I'm, really, I'm really glad that I got to this one. Yeah, I am. Um, I will say that I think um, the end of it, for all the fun we had talking about it, when watching the movie, the end of it's a disappointment. It peters out for me, um, despite the funny stuff in the back half. But there is so much to be had in the opening 40 minutes beyond a bit that's, like, really interesting structurally, really interesting narratively, um, really bizarrely put together in a way that makes you want it. And... um I'm really grateful to have seen that because that on its own is fascinating. And then, of course, we get, you know, the context for Garbage Day and blowing up a guy's eyes with a car battery and all sorts of dumb shit later. Um, The amount of stuff that we didn't even get to is kind of wild for how short the movie is. Um, 
Like the fact that Mother Superior is decapitated, but they don't notice right away, and then the head just rolls off. Like, woo, big head. Um, well, it was a regular size head that fell off. I don't know why it's so big. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm really glad I saw it. It was, it was fascinating, is the word I would use. Yeah, and coming off of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 last week, I think fascinating... Uh, is is a great thing to have happen. I'm I'm glad that this kicked off our December holiday month. This is this is a good omen. Yeah, and uh, to join the party, we also did something structurally weird for us, which is record under wa- uh, uh, not underwater, underground. I'm uh, well, I guess I'm kind of under the water just by virtue of like depth, you know. <laughs> I get you. And then you know, <laughs> sorry. I did not maybe nail that, but, um, you know, we're trying something else out here. Uh, this may be the norm for a while. I don't know when I'm going to get picked up off of this island. And they also can't see me, which is maybe something I'll have to rectify um, on account of being in this underwater bunker underground. Um, but, uh, you know. We're making it work. I don't know how I have Wi-Fi out here. That's maybe the most baffling thing. Maybe I'll find some stuff if I look around, but um, yeah. People will yeah. understand, man. We, we've we been dealing with lockdown situations and concessions all all year long. I mean, you're really, you're just under lockdown. We're making it work. Things are yeah, it, we'll make it work. I, I am wearing a mask in case I see anybody. So, <laughs> you can never be too careful. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. We don't know what we're doing next, but rest assured, it will be a little bit more Christmassy, I think, than this. We got to keep the good Yule tides going. Is that anything? Probably not. Um, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, I'll take us out of here for sure. Thank you guys once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. Oh, man, <laughs> Fuck you. I'm so glad I get to do this. <laughs> You really made that go high pitch in a way that feels like you're making fun of me. <laughs> this is my garbage day. You guys can uh, you can find us all over the internet on Twitter at they made another all one word and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one? You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and if you're more of an eyebrows, buffness, or a chuckle person. (laughs) Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Our custom-made soundboard clips are courtesy of Jason DeLine, who you can find on Instagram at DeLineMan. Liam, where can we find you? Oh, well... I'll tell you, Liam, you can find me, my film writing <laughs> alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And you can find me, Corey, on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price, Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. And you can also check out the other show I do with our friend Neil, where we're working our way through the fantasy fighting action hot people television series, Mortal Kombat Conquest under Mortal Kombat PodQuest. Uh, wherever you can find stuff. And with all that out of the way, you can find us next week on They Made Another One?
I gotta be honest with you, like, I am beaming right now. It was so great to hear you do it. It was fun. It felt good. 